Hey everybody, it's Rob, National Fire Radio, Frontline Mindset. I am excited today. This is going to be a, a great episode. We're going to talk about family in the fire service. And uh, a couple of years ago, I was at FDIC and I got to sit and talk with uh, our guest today, Nick Dingus. And he related a story of his uh, him and his son um, spending some quality time at the firehouse watching uh, UTV. And uh, an alarm came in for, for a house fire. Um, he responded to the fire and his son was there at the firehouse and one of the uh, senior members of the uh, the department with the uh, rescue squad and the ambulance came in and grabbed his son and they went out to the fire scene to help pass out rehab supplies. And it was just a very touching story because like this was the start of, you know, this, this introduction to the fire service and bringing something in. And I wanted to have Nick come on today to talk about you know, introducing family to the fire service, because I think it's important. So with that being said, allow me to introduce Nick Dingus, uh, President and CEO of Dingus Fire Equipment. And, you know, all around, like you're, you're, you're currently a chief. We've been trying to do this um, episode and, and Nick kept catching fires, which was, you know, I think I sat there and then you sent me a picture of uh, <laughs> what you were responding to. Um, but Nick, thank you for coming on today. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about this on on frontline mindset. Yeah, Rob, thanks for, for having me this morning. Uh, always appreciate talking to you and being part of National Fire Radio. Yeah, so Nick, uh, for, I mean, I gave a little bit of an introduction today uh, for you, but kind of for the listeners out there, who are you in your own words? Yeah, so I've been a firefighter and paramedic now for 27 years. Um, I'm currently the assistant fire chief in Sublette, Illinois, which is a district 90 miles west of the city of Chicago, uh, out in rural Illinois. I was a career firefighter for seven plus years with uh, the Rockford Fire Department, which is the second largest department in the state of Illinois. And I was very fortunate over time to start the Dingus Fire Company, which is one of the largest fire equipment distributors in the Midwest, and to be part of other startups like Leatherhead Fire Tools, uh, Vanguard Safety Wear, uh, Leatherhead Metals, and a few others. Uh, so I've been very blessed. I'm also one of 12 firefighters in my family that spans four generations. Uh, I believe our family is sniffing 300 years of service overall. And uh, just love and, as you know, are very passionate about where the fire service is at, where it's been and where it's going and, and how do we make it better and leave a legacy behind us. What is your first memories of the fire service? Uh, my first memories are uh, growing up in a household in a small community of the fire phone ringing. And we had a constant ring on our landline. And my job, uh, because I was much younger than my father and brother, was to pick up the phone, uh, talk to the call taker, and uh, push the pound sign. And for the young folks, that's the hashtag now. And that would trip the, the whistle in town, and you would have to stay on the landline until the first firefighter got to the station. And we would have to relay the information and the address of where the fire EMS call was at. And then as I got older, it was riding with my father, who was the assistant chief back in the, the 80s and 90s, and going to accident scenes and fire calls with him. And my brother's 14 years older, so uh, getting to watch them in action uh, definitely gave me the bug. And when I turned age of 18, one of my uh, neighbors was the, the fire captain. I was a senior in high school. He came over and said, sign this kid. Uh, we've got a meeting for the fire department Thursday night and handed me a pager. And um, as we, we talked earlier, 
we caught an accident at 7 a.m. the next morning before school started, and, and, and I had the bug. That was the hook right there, right? And and I think it's interesting. You said this before. Uh, you know, we, we were kind of talking before we started recording. Your dad didn't push you, though. Like, your dad wasn't overbearing with this. He wasn't like, you're going to join the fire service. It was a, you know, it, it, it was a neighbor. And, like, I, I just, I find that interesting because my parents didn't push me either. Um, but it was also something that I was like, hey, I'm totally going to do this. This looks awesome. So, yeah, and I think... You know, so my father worked in our community and I would see him leave his job to go help others. And he wasn't the only one. We've, we've always had a, a pretty strong fire and EMS department. And uh, to watch the people that I looked up to in the community leave their jobs and uh, either go fight a fire, go to an accident or help out our neighbors um, just was one of those things that, you know, when you grow up with it, uh, you associate good things and a life of service uh, around that. And I just felt like that was that was my calling. I didn't think it would lead to what, you know, what kind of what we're doing today. And truthfully, didn't even realize the fire service was was going to be a career path for myself until in the, the earlier mid 90s. My brother took a job in Byron, Illinois, um, as a career firefighter and paramedic. I went off to school in 97 with full intentions of getting a finance degree and, and actually heading to Wall Street. And the more I got into the volunteer world, uh, the more I liked it. And in uh, 1999, I moved into the firehouse in Macomb, uh, where Western Illinois University is. And for three years, lived in the firehouse. They paid me to, to go on calls. And I, I immediately knew that that's what I wanted to do the rest of my life. Uh, my mother was not so so happy in my, my career choice. I'll never forget, as I was getting my degree my senior year in school, I had an interview with Caterpillar, uh, Tractor, I think it was John Deere and uh, Edward Jones to be a financial planner. And I, I had a brand new suit that I had just gotten. I went back to the firehouse for lunch and we caught a garage fire. And instead of going to my interview with Caterpillar Tractor, I slid down the pole, jumped on the ladder truck and went to the fire. And I'll never forget my mother calling me that night, asking me how the interview went. And, uh, and I had to tell her that I did not interview with Cat. And uh, she was uh, less than thrilled with me at that time. And I knew I knew at that point that I wanted to be a fireman and uh, was lucky enough to be picked up by Rockford a few months after that. Can I, I feel like I'm a, a broken record sometimes in the in the podcast, but like how it was Macomb that you were in a live in program. How did that yes. how did that shape that? Because I mean, I, and I try to describe this to people who have not experienced a live-in program, um, and, and even myself, I haven't experienced. I've only volunteered in a firehouse that had one, and I did it for a week whenever they would go, like the live-ins would go on vacation over the summer. But like, can you kind of touch on that because it's it's such a, I, I just I, I'm I'm interested in your perspective of of how that changed. So so number one, I loved it, and uh, I knew about this program from my brother. He had done it 14 years prior to myself. And the day I got to, to the campus at WIU, I went and met with the fire chief, told him who I was. Luckily, they liked my brother. So that was that was positive. <laughs> and uh, at the time, they, they didn't have an opening. They, they only allowed two students to be part of that program. And I believe it was August uh, going into my sophomore year. The fire chief called and said, we have an opening. Um, if you'd like to like to accept it, you know, we need you here mid-August to, to move your stuff in and meet all the all the folks. And I had an extremely positive experience. I got my EMT license, uh, got my basic uh, firefighter, which at the time was firefighter two. And they allowed us to go on calls uh, 
like immediately. So you got some really good life experience. Um, it was a union career department plus the two of us that were the live-ins. So essentially we were a supplement to the full-time staff. Macomb was a community of maybe 20,000 people plus, uh, plus another say 20,000 uh, that went to college and they were just actually taking over EMS or starting to do EMS first response, uh, which worked out really well for me uh, since I had my EMT license. A lot of the older guys uh, really did not like EMS. So as, as you know, you know, 70, 80% of our runs uh, were on the EMS side. So I'd always jump on the rescue and go on calls. Well, once they trusted me, they also trusted me then to be, you know, more active on the fire ground. And uh, that was an invaluable experience. And I think it was my junior or senior year, we got in on a rescue and, and saved a man's life and got a unit accommodation for that. And that left a lasting impact even to this day, you know, to be part of that at a young age and, uh, and then to take those experiences on beyond was, was you know, amazing. And I'm still friends uh, right now with a lot of those firefighters, most of which are retired, but, you know, we're just good humans that, that put me down the course of a career job and, uh, and just lifelong friendships that, uh, that exist today. Well, and I, I would think too, I mean, the, like one, when you live in a firehouse, you are immense, uh, immersed, sorry, in, in the culture of the fire service, but then you have these mentors who are, you know, guiding that, like they are probably setting the example for the path. And, you know, it's, it, it reminds me of the first time that I met Jeremy um, he stopped at the firehouse and the Lieutenant Steve Wilch at the time said, Jeremy was able to sleep in the bunk room. And for us at Fairview, that was like, if, if volunteer members were allowed to sleep in the career bunk room, um, when, when the staffing model like had a spare bunk, that was, that was like a, a feather in the cap for the individual to show the trust. So like, it just, it, it the story kind of reminds me of that because there's these mentors that had to, you know, certainly, I don't want to say show you. They didn't show you the path, but they were like, hey, this is the path you can take. And you certainly were like, awesome. Like, you know, I know they said it was just, it's got to be a, an interesting thing. Is, is there anybody in particular out of that time frame that you just remember and you're in that that was really pivotal for you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there were there were actually several. Uh, one of them was Roger Lunt. Uh, Roger was a captain of operations for us. Uh, he actually ended up being the deputy director of the Illinois Fire Service Institute. And uh, he's got two sons uh, today active in the fire service, one on Kansas City, Missouri, and the other one in North Kansas City. And I keep in touch with, with those folks. But Roger was instrumental in helping shape my career, taught my basic firefighter, firefighter two class. Uh, Craig Hamrick. Craig was an engineer on the department, and uh, we would sneak off after school hours. And I always wanted to learn how to pump the rig. And uh, just so I could have a better understanding when I came home on the weekends, you know, what to do if, if I needed to be the engineer, which to be fair, I'm probably one of the worst engineers in the state of Illinois. However, uh, if you need water, I can get you water. <laughs> and uh, but I, yeah, we would pump, you know, on uh, after training was done for the day, after they had done the career side, he was always more than willing to help me, you know, learn about different things, uh, you know, whether on the pump side or just, you know, basic firefighting. Another one was Tracy Burris, uh, who now has moved on, and she was, I believe, the assistant fire chief or deputy fire chief of Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, but she was a younger career member at the time, and I always, you know, was interested in rescue. And uh, you know, we would do rope, you know, rope rescue and and some of the technical rescue things. And 
they didn't have to go do those things out of their normal daily scope of training, but were always willing to help me out as I, as I wanted to better myself and move on to a career in the fire service. And I'm forever grateful for, for all of those folks. Now, we, we you, you touched on it before that your mother might have not been thrilled that you missed the cat interview to, to, to hop on the truck for that fire. Um, all this is happening. You're a member of your home department. Your your dad was, was he was he still uh, the current chief when you were a member? Assistant chief, yeah. Okay. So, like, how, how is the, because now you're, you're four generations in is what you've, you told, you said your grandfather, your father, um, yourself, and then your son's going to most likely become even more involved than he already is. Yep. Um, like what was, what was that dynamic? Like as, as you're, as you're doing what you're doing in Macomb, you're learning and then, and then you're like, you're, cause I would assume your father's also, you know, like there's, I, I would call it like a fatherly hand, but he's gotta be, you know, having yeah, those so, conversations. Yeah. So a little bit different, I would say with my father, because my father is actually uh, 43 years older than I am. So I'm the youngest in my family. And uh, so as I was in my 20s, my father was, you know, 40 years into a fire service career at that point and was still doing all the kind of chiefly things, you know, uh, but was more toward the end of, you know, I would say his fire service life. My brother was extremely active and my brother was, you know, a mentor for me. Even to this day, I would watch him go out. He would attend trainings. He was an officer on our department before he departed to, to do the career fire service. And, uh, you know, anything that he did, I essentially wanted to learn about and do. And uh, we were lucky enough to be a benefactor of equipment and training and and all kinds of different things on my volunteer department because of of my brother. So as he went out and became a state certified instructor, you know, I was the snot nosed tag along kid just trying to learn and either taking the classes or when I became a career fireman, you know, just kind of helping him out, you know, uh, you know, doing some of the hot training and things and just trying to learn from him and all of his buddies who I highly respected. That's, uh, what's your brother's name? Uh, Tony Dingus. Tony. So, you know, man, like, so you have your, your father with all that experience, but then you have your older brother. And like, I just, I, I cannot imagine, was, was there ever times where your, where, where, where Tony was coming to you and being like, Hey, knock off your, 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 your crap or like, you know, having that, con- like, cause that's gotta, like, I, I, I always watch people with family in the fire service and it's, it's an interesting dynamic. You know, so, so my brother's 14 years older and he was, you know, exiting into a career department at that point. So we really didn't have any, any of that dynamic. And my brother and I are pretty disparate in many, in many ways in our thinking, you know, Definitely centralized around uh, the fire service and the passion for it, uh, but didn't always have the same, you know, I guess, methodology uh, on different things. I, I, I laugh. We were doing a training one time talking about ventilation and uh, we got done with a house burn. And uh, when I was a career fireman, we did a lot of PPV and PPA. And, that, and, and we were, to be fair, I thought pretty good at it. Mm-hmm. My brother came from a department that everything was vertical ventilation. You know, and I had my own thoughts and ideas, you know, from obviously our experience level of being on a ladder truck that did that. He had, you know, 20 plus years at that point, probably of experience of vertical ventilation. And I'll never forget, we're having a couple of beers after this training with the department and we almost came to blows. Like he was very passionate about his side. I was very passionate about my side. (laughs) And uh, I think we might have had to have been separated in the kitchen of the firehouse we were at, but kind of fun. 
Yeah, that that's. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I can only imagine I, I you know and I, it's it's interesting because you're talking about uh, positive pressure ventilation and um, recently uh, Mo Davis uh, district chief um, from Houston was on salty uh, salty dog uh, podcast and he actually explained uh, their you know what Houston does with positive pressure and setting that fan up and like I, and 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 just because like his his passion like he smiled when they asked him the question and he had the answer for him but and I can imagine your brother and you having that like that you know no pun intended but that passion igniting and, and the two of you coming to to that you know family blow if you will and uh <laughs> to be a well, to that. be fair Rob it was not a family blow it was just a lively debate yes 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 so that to, to see the lively debate uh that that had to be <laughs> that had to be good. Um, and Tony's what just had, you know, for my own, I'm just curious, where's, where's Tony at now? He's, so he's the deputy fire chief of the Byron fire protection district just outside of Rockford. Okay. So, uh, all right. So like, you know, today, like one of the things was uh, we wanted to hit on, like you, you've laid a base of the family history, but you, you're a father, you know, how are you introducing your kid to the fire service because so many times I see that like there's there's even this uh, subculture of people don't want want their kids involved in the fire service and when you told me that story at FDIC I was just so humbled by it because like the hope for me in the fire service you know like it is our families like if we you know and that's gonna be it's not gonna be the whole fire service but like we have to do it right and it, and I I wonder sometimes why you know, there's an attitude of like, hey, I don't want my family involved in that. And there's probably some valid reasons. But like, you know, you've you've taken a you know, this is a family business for you and you're introducing your son into this. Like, can you kind of hit on that a little bit or or we start yeah. diving into this topic? So I think, you know, it, it kind of the same standpoint my father took with my brother and I is, you know, I'm not here to push you one way or the other. What I always hope is, you know, by leading uh, by example that he sees that and he has a generalized interest. And if he does, then obviously I'll help foster and pursue that. Um, you know, and I think I've, I've told you, Jake comes down now after a fire. He's cleaning tools. He's racking hose. Uh, he's putting things away. And uh, he just turned 15. So, you know, this year he'll have a more active role within our, our volunteer department. But I love to see it. And uh, we started talking about his career path after high school. And, uh, and I can't tell you, you know, what he's going to do exactly. But, you know, we've had the fire service conversation of in Illinois, most departments are a 2448 schedule, which is what I worked. And I said, he's, uh, he's a very outdoorsy kid and, and also very mechanical. And I said, you know, you could do a trade on your day off. You can be a fishing guide on your day off. You know, you can be in the outdoors on your day off or for me selfishly, maybe you could sell for me on your days off. Uh, but it, it'd be a great career. You know, you can get a, a nice union job. You can have good benefits, um, you know, get a pension, you know, for life and uh, and start thinking about those things. But more importantly, your heart has to be in the right place and you want to be able to serve others. And, uh, and I think, you know, he's grown up with that and seen my brother and myself and my nephews uh, that are in the fire service today. And I believe he wants to be part of that. But, you know, as I've said earlier, I don't want to push him. Uh, but he's shown a general interest and I love it. You know, when he sees, hey, dad, where are you at? OK, I'm in a fire. Can I come down and help? That, that's, that, that makes, makes my heart happy. 
Yeah. And I just like that, your heart has to be in the right place and you have to want to serve others. I wrote that down. Like that's, I think that is so, so important because you hit on a couple of the things like, you know, Hey, the schedule, like the union, the pension, but ultimately what it really comes down to is you, you do have to have that. You have to have, you have to have that heart in the right place and you have to want to serve others because that's really what we do here. I mean, quite frankly, it's the only thing that we do here. We serve, we serve others. Like when people have an emergency, they call, they're having their, quote unquote, worst day of their lives. And we're coming to fix the problem, you know, and we don't typically say no to somebody. Well, and I think, you know, it's, it's one of the only jobs that we can have that uh, will leave a lasting impact on, on others. And I think that's really important. It doesn't matter if you're a volunteer or paid on call, paid on promise or career, uh, knowing that you help somebody, as you said, on their worst day, uh, with maybe the worst problem they've ever had, or they're having, you know, it, quote unquote, their own emergency. You know, it may not be emergency to you or I, but it, it is to them. And knowing that you have compassion and you want to be able to help mitigate whatever the situation is, again, from a fire to a car wreck to, you know, a cardiac type event, you want to be there. And what's always interesting to me is when I worked in a career department where, you know, our community was 150,000 and we were doing about 30,000 runs a year to moving back to my hometown and being the assistant chief there and still a paramedic, you see these people in church, you see them at the grocery store and knowing that you helped positively impact somebody's life uh, is, is a big deal. Uh, I had a, a situation or a call uh, uh, probably five or 10 years ago uh, with my nephew and we had a, a preemie that was four weeks old, old that coded and we were able to revive that child uh, together, which was 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 really neat because we share that bond. But I see that gentleman or that young man in church, and to know that you know he's here today because of the actions that that we did, that's pretty darn cool. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, I would say in most jobs you can't say that, and uh, and and that's I think why you know I still show up at three o'clock in the morning for the lift assist, and you know go for the the, the transports when. You know, maybe you don't want to you want to catch some more sleep, but you know that somebody has to do it and uh, and somebody has to be there for your neighbors, friends and family. Yeah, I mean, that is, you know, that, that is uh, th that is so huge. And I think like I back to my formidable days in, in Sullivan County, because you, you're right, like you saw those you saw those people in your church, you know, you see them at the penny socials, at the bazaars, you know, and and I even think of. um like we had a, there was an incident a couple of years ago where we had a, a premature birth and the, you know, the, the, the little boy just wasn't breathing on his own, you know, and like the call went sideways so fast. And I remember, I think we, like we left a fire engine on the side of the road, just running. Cause we had both of our ambulances. We had two, like the mother and the child were, were both not doing well. <laughs> Excuse me, but um, now I see that little boy at our open house every year, and it still brings a tear in my eye because, uh, you know, I'm just like, wow, I can't believe like we all as a team made this happen. Um, and I think it's important, Rob, especially for the the young people. One for us to continue to lead by example, and that means show up. And uh, you know, I, I would say there's every excuse in the world from anyone not to show up anymore. You know, whether it's you're worried about. You know, Good Samaritan laws going by the wayside and being sued for whatever reason, which, you know, anybody can be sued at any time for anything. And I think that's in first responders mind, which might be some of the reason we're seeing a decline in applications for fire and EMS.
But the bottom line is we have to lead by example, you know, as chief officers, as company officers, you know, is, is the, the folks that have have some experience in the fire service, because if we don't show up every time, then it's going to be acceptable for the young people not to show up every time. And, uh, and, and I think that's important. Just lead by example. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, you got me on this one, Nick. I, 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 and I, and I love when this happens when I'm like speechless, cause I'm just like, <laughs> I really am. Uh, it's, it, it's, it's, it's a great point. Um, so now with, with Dingus fire equipment, you get to see, um, or Dingus fire company, you get to see departments all over. Do you see like, what, what are some of the other examples of success that like when you're, when you're, you know, when you were doing sales or you're traveling in the firehouses, is there, is there ingredients of the recipe, so to speak, that you see commonplace and other fire departments that are being successful in this mission of getting the family involved in the fire service? Yeah, I would say there are a few things that I think, well, one that we can do, but we're seeing that are, are, are successful apprenticeship programs. We're seeing that word being thrown out more and more uh, is, a, I guess, is, is a, a side note to that. We met uh, in our county with our local community college, and we're meeting this next year with the high schools to create a pathway for juniors and seniors to be able to take an EMT program to be able to take their Illinois basic uh, firefighter certification. So by the time they hit age 18 and graduate, they could walk into a fire department and have all the credentials they need to start day one outside of being a paramedic. But if you've got your state licensed EMT in Illinois, uh, the community college then will step in and offer a two-year program to get them certified as a paramedic. And I think the more we can get young people excited at an early age, I think the better off we are. There's some communities around us that, you know, won't accept membership until age 21. You know, if we can find a way to grab these kids 15, 16, 17, at least get our hooks into them and then find a way to get them certification, um, you know, one, to help them with their own career path, if maybe they're not necessarily college bound, and then selfishly to fill our ranks in the meantime. You know, if we can have extra bodies on the scene, you know, from that 16 to 21 or 16 to 23 age range, that's great. I said, nothing makes me more proud than to watch the cadets that have walked through the Sublette and Amboy fire departments that now are, you know, in the Rockford, Illinois and Aurora's and Rock Islands and Naperville's. Like to me, that's the ultimate. Watching these young people grow, giving them some type of mentorship wanting them to be excited about the fire service that hopefully they're taking into those jobs and then passing down to the next generations. Yeah. And I think we, we kind of said it before we started the, when, before I hit record, but you talked about, you know, Jake coming part of the junior program. And I think that's something that is, and I don't know, at least locally, I don't like, there's still departments that have junior memberships and there's junior programs, but it's not, as focused as it was and it's it's important and maybe we have to just change the um the structure of it like it's not what it was back like the junior programs you know were family members like your son can join because you're his father and that was how the junior if, but if you didn't have a member in the fire service you know the junior couldn't join kind of thing <coughs> excuse me it was commonplace in some some organizations but i think we need to really do focus on that because it's well, I think start. what's tough today, Rob, for all of these young people is they're 
one, we've got our phones. And I think all these young kids, and we do as well, live on our phones with social media. And we've got to figure out a way to get to these you know, young people early. I think more kids want to feel included in doing something with greater purpose than we think. You know, and, uh, you know, one of the challenges we've had is trying to get the kids that are really involved in things and get them part of our organization. You know, we want the kids that are successful in athletics or academics or social uh, clubs and organizations, but we're vying for their time. And that's why we came up with this idea of introducing it at the high school level during high school hours uh, to get them the certifications that, that they need. So we're not competing after school to try to get them certified and trained and compete with those other, other organizations and things. And, you know, it, it's education is important. And I know I, I read an article in preparation for today that you did. Um, and I like was interested to find out that you had a lawn care business and that you were able to like successfully build that business while in school and come out debt free from college and then start, you know, the, the, the career and, and kind of like it was a um, it was a good st story about Dingus uh, Fire Company and, and your origins in that. But there's also um, there's going to be members of the fire service that aren't going to have that college path, but they're going to have the work ethic that you did just to, to be handy. And I think that because like that's one one thing I've struggled with is sometimes it seems like the fire service wants to make an educated firefighter to the point of having a bachelor's or a master's degree. And I might, you know, in the, in the, in the master's degree side of it, it might be going a little extreme, but there are, there are plenty of uh, candidates out there that have mechanical aptitude drive. Um, like they want to be part of that organization and, and be fulfilled, but they maybe are not going to be the atypical learners or the neurotypical student to go for a two year or a four year degree. And, like, do you think we're missing the boat sometimes with that? Like, I don't want to say like a vocational program, but like we talked about apprenticeship stuff. That's a that's a pathway to get them involved. No, no, I, I'm 100 percent in agreement. And I think that's the vocational work that we need to be looking at, whether it's through an apprenticeship program uh, or, you know, tying it in with a community college. And, and we feel very passionate about this. Uh, Jeff Bryant and I do some some training work at the local community college, and we're just trying to figure out. How do we grab these young people early? He's got the junior program through the high school. And, uh, and then we, we want to retain and keep them. Um, I'm going to say one point that I, I feel very strongly about is you can throw a thousand books at a fire, Rob, and it's never put one out. And I know that a lot of educated <laughs> firefighters that, you know, maybe have all the paper in the world and, and in some cases are leading organizations because they have that paperwork. You know, but they've never laid a hand line. They've never done an unaided search. You know, they've never put the extra time in, you know, in training. And, and I don't think that's right. Uh, the experience level you get from, you know, being involved, you know, in your department, making those calls. And it just doesn't have to be fires, by the way. But, you know, participating on the EMS runs. I always felt like every EMS call I went on when I was on the street in Rockford, I was trying to learn something. Mm -hmm. And I had a, a fire chief, Buck Kellen, uh, when I turned 18, that said, kid, if you can learn one thing on every call you go on, someday you're going to be a great fireman. And I took that to heart. And when I rode the ambulance in Rockford, you know, we'd walk in a multifamily house and I was trying to figure out how many gas shutoffs were there, you know, how many utility lines are there, uh, how many steps are there to get to the second floor if I've got to lay a line, what's my stretch from the curb to the front door? 
you know, if I've got a fire in the back bedroom, you know, do it, is my pre-connect going to work? Do I need to pull off the skid load off the back? Where do I put the Y? You know, if I'm going to do a walk around in this building, you know, what can I see? Where are we going to ladder the building? And we would try to talk about that, you know, with my, at the time, EMS partner, or even running our first response uh, calls on the ladder truck. You know, we were asking each other those questions every day. And I hope that it made me a better fireman over the last 27 years that, uh, you know, I asked the young people the same things. Hey, are you looking at the same thing I am? You know, I'm looking for feedback on these calls as well. You know, when the alarm comes in, are we listening? Are we hearing? Are we understanding? Are we missing anything? And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we just want to make ourselves better. You know, I, I, I often talk about two things when it comes to EMS that to relate back to the fire service. And I'm always thinking on an EMS call um, when I walk in, once I establish that, you know, baseline with the patient, it's my mind always goes to how am I getting the patient out of here? Like what's plan A and what's plan B? And it's going to be the same thing in a fire. If I find a victim, am I going back the way that I came in or am I going to have to go out another way that's easier? Like, did I not realize that there's a back door, you know, whatever the case might be. Um, and then the other thing is I, I try to teach people about corners because of, you know, there's been a lot of houses that I've walked to in my career and I look in the corners and I think it, there was some kind of movie about the FBI or something. And they, you know, it, it, it was Hollywood, but essentially somebody was hiding in the corner and it's always taught me to look into that corner. And, and it's been the common place where I've seen like a shotgun or a rifle just kind of, you know, and it's not nothing illegal. It's just that they they were a firearms owner, but that there's now a gun in the room. And like, are you aware of that? Did you see that? It's their right to have it. It's not, no, you know, not, it's not our job to determine the criminality. It's just to be like, Hey, like these things exist. Are we paying attention and doing that size up? And yeah. So like EMS calls are a, a tremendous spot. And I'm just, I'm always relieved to hear people say that because sometimes I'll throw that out there and people, Oh, really? You do the, did you do that? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, it's, you have to, you have to layer your service experience, you know? Well, and I think, you know, I always tell, you know, whether it's the junior members or, or the guys that were on our crew, a lot of the time we were on the west side of Rockford, which, you know, was, I would say, socioeconomically challenged. But a lot of the, the high rises and houses that we went to for EMS runs, you know, maybe the housekeeping wasn't the best. And there was a, a, a probably a higher likelihood that we were going to go to a fire in one of these places. So it's like, know the layout, know the, know the, the ways in, the ways out. Uh, you know, again, if we're going to lay a line up a stairwell, what does that look like? You know, how much hose are we are we going to need? You know, if it, I've got to get to a second floor quick or we're going to do a vent enter search, you know, where are we going to throw our ladders at? And, and I think constantly talking about those things and learning on every run is extremely important. Yeah, 100 uh, percent. Don't become complacent. You know, right. and I guess, you know, the gun thing I, I kind of laugh at. I was on a med run one time and I'm talking to a patient that, uh, you know, was semi responsive. And he just happened to roll over and he had a handgun that he was laying on. And I was like, oh, boy, you know, not what I expected on, you know, kind of a mundane diabetic run. And here's this guy with a gun in his hand. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's uh, it's always uh, I, I mean, I, I, I do a class on um, I have to probably adjust the title of it. But it's active shooters, firefighters in the line of fire. And it, we talk about these things because it's it's more commonplace that we think of. And one of the things I say in the classes, I'm like, I don't want anybody here to become a, you know, you don't have to be a, a Navy SEAL expert of firearms, but you need to be comfortable with picking something up and putting it in a location that's away from the patient. Because if they're in that situation, like, I don't want them coming conscious from a diabetic emergency. And then 
all of a sudden surprised, like my ugly mug's staring at you, you know, like we gotta, we gotta know how to do this stuff because it's all part of that, you know, scenes like, you know, cause you're not going to run away from them if they're right. unconscious, you know, maybe you will. I don't know. Um, it's a crazy world today. So, um, what, what else do we, I'm just going to look at my notes here. So got the pages of them already here, but, um, is there anything that we're, we're missing here, Nick, that we've, we've kind of hit on as far as this conversation of like introducing family to the fire service and bringing family up into the fire service that, that you want to, you know, that you've thought of or, no, I think, I think we hit on most things. I think one of the biggest things, Rob, is just general pride. You know, I think that's something that, you know, was instilled in me at a young age from, you know, my father and my brother that, you know, the firehouse is somewhat of a sacred place. You may have people from different walks of life that, uh, that you know, outside of the firehouse, but, you know, we come together with a common mission. And as long as, you know, we're trained basically the same way, uh, we act as, you know, one unit as a team to accomplish whatever task, mission, or goal that we need to. And I think that's extremely important. And it goes back to even washing the rigs. You know, when we get done with a run, wash the ambulance. I always look at it as, you know, the taxpayers have, have allowed us to buy, a, you know, $500,000, now $700,000, you know, piece of equipment. Let's keep it clean. Let's keep it nice. That way, when we have other firefighters or People in our community want to see our firehouse that, you know, we look top notch and our equipment isn't, isn't dirty. So always take pride in, 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 the, in the job and then in our equipment. Yeah. Um, and just uh, I, I, just to kind of shift gears for a, a second. Um, you know, you, you've you've come up into the fire service. You started that you were a, a career firefighter in, in, in Rockford um, and then the business expanded like you got involved in and in, in, and i don't even know if like you know equipment and, and whatnot and then you you had to make a decision at some point um to step away from the fire service and do this full time and like that involved your family because it wasn't just you know you weren't just making a, a random decision like you had to consult like you know i assume your wife and everything else right like but like what was what was that? Because it always intrigues me when somebody walks away from the fire service career to to expand on something, or to, or even to take that leap of faith to like transfer or move on. And there's that that limbo period. What like because that that's the other half of this, right? Is like talking with our spouses, talking with our family, and letting them know what's going on. Like, can you kind of touch on that a little bit? Yeah. So walking away, and I never want to say walking away because it was more of a transition. You know, yeah. from back into you know kind of the the volunteer paid on call world and then to focus on on the business side which is obviously all fire but i'd had a whole host of injuries uh leading up to when i left in 2008 i'd had a fractured neck um i've had two shoulder surgeries uh blew some discs out in my back and tore a ligament in my leg all within a short period of time and uh at the same time my wife was pregnant with number two uh, my father had cancer and my wife's mother had guillain-barre and I felt like God was trying to tell me that uh, it probably is a good idea to go home and, and start taking care of some family and, and to focus on the business. I will tell you this, it was absolutely the hardest decision of my life. Uh, there are not too many things that make me emotional. I try to be pretty pragmatic in all my thinking, but I remember calling my, my father and calling my brother uh, for a consult on this and, and saying, I think, you know, physically, it's probably a really good idea at the time. 
and uh, we need to, you know, take care of the family first type of mentality. Uh, but breaking down because that's what I was. You know, I was a fireman. I was a paramedic. I really wanted to be a company officer uh, in Rockford. I loved the job. Uh, you know, the, our shift was a 24-hour shift day. I wanted to be there 25 hours. So it was like getting there an hour early because I had a chance of uh, another hour of uh, a chance at a fire. Uh, but it was it was crushing for that short period of time where I felt like my identity was taken away. And then you transition into, you know, the next chapter of life, which, you know, was focusing on the business. And at the time it was Leatherhead Fire Tools and uh, the Dingus Fire Company. And there were, I mean, I, the, the uh, Canvas Rebel was where I, I, I found this interview that you did. Like it wasn't like, I, cause I think now, like, you know, especially for me, like I, I, I loved reading this article where, where you talked about the growth because I see Dingus Fire Company and I see like, even even the shirt that you're wearing with the embroidery on it, right? The the fleet of vehicles, your sales territory. But there was a point in that where it was not like this was not all sunshines and rainbows. It's not like you had like the uh, you know the Donald Trump. Well, I got a modest loan from my father of fourteen million dollars or whatever. You know, like it, it, like you you had uh, you know there was there was financial burdens. You had to make hard choices, and your family had to support you during that. And and you know, so it's just a, yeah, like there is, I, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm going to try to link the article for folks if you're, if you're comfortable with that, but like, it was yeah. a great, it was a, you know, that was a tough time in my life. So yeah. the period, so I left in 08 to do leatherhead uh, fire tools and this in 2011 took over the, what's now the Dingus fire company. And uh, you know, we were in a really tough spot. I mean, almost bankrupt, uh, you know, making sales, that really wasn't the issue, but making money is a whole nother, whole nother thing. And we had to, at the time, I think we had 11 full-time people, 12 part-time, and we had to reduce it down to five full-time and six part-time, including uh, transitioning out three of my partners to just me. And you talk about some soul searching. Uh, that was probably the most difficult 18 months of my life, you know, trying to figure out one financially, how to make it work. I remember having to liquidate my uh, my retirement plan from the fire department just to make payroll, uh, which if you've never done that before, uh, that, that that makes you sick. I mean, literally sick. And then for uh, several several months and evenings, I would sleep under my desk. So I would go out during the day and uh, and try to make sales with our team, and then in the evening try to figure out you know the accounting side and the payroll side and. And keeping vendors happy, and uh, usually that lasted till three, four in the morning. Sleep under my desk for a couple hours, go home and see my wife and kids, get them off to school for the day, and her off to work, and then back out selling. And uh, it was, you know, for sure the most difficult point of my life. And you know, it goes back to what you were saying about education. I, I do not have a master's degree, however, I've worn it on my back. You know, from having to to do those things and solve those problems and. I always say, whether it's on the fire ground uh, in business or in life, you take all your problems, you put them in a box, and then you systematically start checking them off. And I think when you do that, you're very pragmatic in your thinking and you're accomplishing small goals and tasks along the way that lead up to big change. Yeah, I think that was one of the things you, you, uh, the article said, like it was 50, 50 changes. Changes in 50 days. And and I just, I, like I said, I was, I, I sat there with my mouth open reading this article in shock because like I said, you see, you see what the company is now, but then they, to kind of get that story a little bit. And as you're, as you're pulling these long hours, and I think this is just another thing in family, like 
or, and if you don't want to answer this by all means, like it's not, um, that's fine. How is the communication with your wife? Because you like, you have like this, this is long times away from home. And I know in the fire service, this is the most extreme example, uh, in our context of what we're talking about. But like so many times we forget to communicate, I think, and just like, we, we don't have a communication and, and it leads to problems at home because it could be mandatory overtime on the smaller scale or out west of deployment on a wildland fire or some kind of disaster or just busy shift and you don't get the chance to pick up the phone and say, hey, I'm still, I'm still here. But like you're in this, like you're in the trenches of this, like literally sleeping underneath the desk and then coming home in the morning. Um, like, is there a takeaway from that that you can kind of talk about for the other side of the family at home that's not, you know, I don't want to say not involved, but like that's that's along for the ride. I don't, I, you know. Yeah. So I would say three three people in my life were extremely supportive. My wife, number one. I mean, she uh, and I've always said she should have left me probably during that period because I, I believe we had a, a newborn and a two year old at home when when we started down this this path. And uh, you know, obviously, the, the the good part for me was our office was two blocks from my house. Okay. So, you know, I was trying to jockey and make all the kid things, you know, when I could. Uh, but it was trying to juggle the business and, and write that ship, which was extremely difficult. You know, my uncle, who has been a confidant and an extreme supporter and advisor to me forever and still is to this day, just said, you know, you can do this. You can figure it out. It's going to be extremely difficult. Uh, but but. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, you're going to be better, better because of it. You know, the easy path is you take bankruptcy and, uh, you know, like lots of other people in America and you start over again. And I felt like that's not really in my DNA. It was, you know, figure out how to make this thing work and really not give myself an option of failure. So there was a lot of difficult decisions uh, during that time. One was, uh, you know, I had to let let go uh, a, a cousin of mine that was a business partner that was extremely difficult because I, I love her and her family. Um, our, our, I was a, a captain on the fire department or lieutenant maybe at the time. I had to let go our fire chief, who was our, our number one salesman. And that was extremely difficult because I still was going down to the firehouse and you're making calls and things. Uh, but also knew for the survivability of the business, you know, there's, there's no other option. And, uh, you know, to see those people on the street or at church and, and, or at school, uh, that, that was tough. You know, that was probably... Uh, physically and mentally as draining as I've ever, ever had to, to deal with things in my life. What, was there the opportunity after for them to come back into the company when things, when the ship righted or was it like, I mean, cause I got obviously if there's an opportunity, they didn't necessarily have to take it, but was there an opportunity like in, in post of that? Because I know I cannot imagine how, like being in your shoes in that situation. But then again, if you didn't do those actions, would Dingus Fire Company be here today? Like, so the we... short answer is uh, no, I wouldn't be here today. Uh, and then the second part of that question is they had already moved on in their careers and uh, both very successful and very happy for both of them. And matter of fact, talk to both of them today. Uh, so that that part is always, always good. You know, it's always difficult. So, you know, the sales part of, of business is easy. The relationship part of business is easy. Uh, but, you know, having to deal with 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 employees or or, or or employee change is extremely difficult. And when you're in a small community like we're in, um, I think it's it's even even more difficult because you've, you've got an emotional attachment uh, to, to all of these people. And sometimes we have to make business decisions, which I hate doing, but it's for the health of the company and, and for the you know, the, in our case, 
uh, for the future of 136 people and their families. And I, you know, it's like you're relating it to your, or there's a relationship to this conversation and your business in particular, but also I would imagine for a lot of officers out there in the fire service, especially young officers, uh, maybe not at the scale, but like there's a, there's a difficulty in having that conversation because like fire officer training, you know, for fire officer one or fire officer two, they're not preparing you for that, that, that level. And it, while you had a business decisions to make for the survivability and viability of the company and, and whatnot, like there could be decisions and higher conversations that have to happen in the fire service for the good of the organization, the individuals and the public that we serve. And it's just, like I, I thank you for sharing that and trusting us with that that side of the story because I find extreme value and I hope other people find the value in that because it's just like you said it, it's conversations that need to happen and it's not easy but like that's that isn't uh, that's kind of a, what being a leader sometimes is about is is being able to have that conversation and the step up on it. Yeah, so you know, making the right decision always you know isn't always popular. Right. And I think, you know, whether that's in business, family, life, the street, you know, on, on a call uh, and people don't always see that maybe that day. However, you know, I always say one, people always show their true colors over time. And I think what helped me get through that difficult period was every morning I'd look at myself in the mirror knowing I was doing the best I could for myself, my family and my business. Yeah. And in uh, knowing that, I took a lot of comfort in that, that, you know, people maybe didn't understand that that day or maybe even for a few months. But over time, you know, if you know me long enough, like I always want to be nice to people. I'm always going to treat people fair. I think fair, firm and consistent is a good way to go through life. And um, and I think that that ultimately shines shines through in the way you carry yourself. And we've always tried to take that into the fire service You know, when we're in management you know, of our staff. And, uh, you know, our leadership is just trying to make sure we're doing the best that we can, to your point, for our community and our organization to keep it healthy and strong. And I think this is kind of the other side of our conversation, too, with bringing family into the fire service, because, you know, for for me, and it's like I said, it's my perception of uh, of this, but like watching you, watching your company, I, I remember the first time meeting you was in uh, Revolutionary Fire Tactics at the Lake during the pandemic. Um, and I think Ryan Pennington's like, you gotta, you gotta go introduce yourself to this guy. And I was like, all right, got it, Ryan, calm down. Um, but, uh, you know, like all joking aside, like I've watched, I've observed your business and it's a family business. And I don't mean like, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's family members who are involved, but like last year at the party at, F, at FDIC afterwards, like you could tell that you've uh, instilled those family values in the company because of how everybody is treating um, anybody they're interacting with, whether it's the, the people on the staff with each other or watching them interact in the booth at FDIC with customers to me being at trade shows and like events like Revolutionary Fire Tactics and seeing your sales team interact with people out there. Like this is the other side of, of business, that fair, firm, consistent. It's like what I, what I, wrote above that was building family because that's that's kind of a you know at least like i said it's my opinion of of what i'm seeing as well, far as what you've done yeah and i always say you know we try to try to build a culture and do it kind of family style and i always say from main street usa you know what we're trying to do is not give in to what most corporations you know have built themselves around uh and it's it's more of take care of people and I always think that profitability and, and you know, dollars come 
But I think if you take care of people, um, it, it comes faster and you're doing it the right way instead of, you know, taking that look at just the bottom line, which I think a lot of businesses do. I, I would rather build up an organization and build up the right culture that people want to come to work and people want to stay here. And, uh, and by the way, we have a lot of fun along the way. Uh, but uh, but it's just it, it, it one, it's not work to me. And I hope, you know, in the case of the, the people that work here, it's not necessarily work for them either. And, uh, you know, we, we still go on fire calls. Matter of fact, it's not uncommon that we'll empty out the, pretty much the entire office to go on, on a call during the day. Uh, but we can do that because that's the business that we're in. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, the only thing that uh, people remember is how they were treated and how they felt and uh, not about the dollars and cents and the economics of any business. Yeah. Well, we've been going for over 50 minutes now. It's kind of flown by here. Um, <clears throat> I want to kind of wrap up, but I want to talk about some things that are coming up and coming for uh, Dingus Fire Company. And I know particularly like you're going to have a booth space at FDIC and we're going to see that's going to April's going to be here really fast. What are other things like what are some of the things that are going on that are that are happening that are exciting for the company and for the fire service? Yeah, we've got, well, I've got some, some really top secret things, Rob, we can't share quite yet, but yes, we've got some really cool things we're working on that we'll be able to share and I'll let you guys be the first to know when we can. Uh, so that's, that's always cool. Um, is I think you and I talked previous, everything here is on a 90 day cycle uh, that we try to try to, you know, talk about at the, the executive level and at the management level and keep everybody accountable you know, visibility creates accountability. So that helps us move really fast when we're seeing that. Uh, but yeah, we're in preparation today for FDIC. Uh, we've got uh, the Amboy Fire and Extrication School coming up, which there's some top-notch speakers coming in, both for the hands-on training portion, as well as, uh, as the learning portion in the classroom. So I'm excited about that and supporting uh, that organization, of course, here in Amboy, Illinois. Um, so that's pretty fun. We'll have our uh, booth at FDIC, which we're moving from the main floor into the hallway. Uh, we'll actually not be too far from fire department coffee this year and fire engineering. So uh, pretty stoked about that. Uh, I've heard unofficially that, uh, you know, Vanguard will be there with us. You know, you mentioned Ryan Pennington and Andy Shapiro. Uh, I, I think we might be doing a cash grab with gloves on. Not 100% official yet, but uh, my hope is we have got one of those booths that if you're chosen to be a winner, that uh, you'll be able to grab some cash with our gloves on. So that'll be kind of fun. And then we've got a whole host of trade shows and trainings coming up, uh, you know, throughout the year. Um, I think I'm going to be at, uh, let's see, Firemanship in Aurora, Illinois this year. Um, I'll be teaching flashover and fire behavior. Um, I'll be uh, half of the class will be Ray McCormick uh, talking about nozzle and flow, uh, flow path with, with the hen nozzles. And then I'll be doing the hands-on flashover and fire behavior side with uh, with our students, which is sold out. So always pumped to still get in front of, uh, you know, in front of young people uh, to do some teaching. I uh, don't get to do that near as much as I would like due to, you know, both family and business obligations. But I uh, still come out of retirement occasionally to do the hands-on part, which I which I really, really enjoy. Yeah, I think that was, I mean, like I said, I was frustrated because I wasn't going to any fires when we were originally trying to schedule our uh, our podcast, but it's kind of, it, it, you know, it, for me, I, I just, I like seeing that you are in literally the driver's seat because the one you were in that you were doing tanker operations. Or, uh, true, yeah. Um, but because it, it, it's, it, it, it brings back, like, you're, you're not just, you're not just a salesman, you're a firefighter, you're a fireman. 
And that is so important because like you, because I, I, and, and I think we've all had the times where we've had somebody come in that doesn't walk the walk and they're trying to explain something to you and you're just like, you roll your eyes, but it's just a kind of a, you know, it's always, it, it, it always makes me smile when I see that. Well, and I, it, it, and as you know, I love it. Uh, and it's not uncommon here to be in a meeting and, you know, the, the pager goes off for, you know, whether it's a med run accident or fire, and, you know, we leave. Um, and, and, and I think that also as an organization gives us a lot of street credibility. You know, you look at a lot of the other, other organizations our size uh, or bigger, and uh, they've turned into, you know, just giant corporate organizations. And a lot yeah. of the folks that are running in those organizations haven't lived in the shoes that, uh, you know, that we're talking about. And I really don't want to represent a product that I don't believe in. And, you know, we've parted ways with companies in the past where, you know, either their values didn't align with us or the products didn't align for what I, I, I thought they should be. You know, whether it be durability, a product um, or, you know, holding up uh, like it should over time. And, uh, you know, and I, I felt like, listen, you know, at the end of the day, my name is on the door and my family's name is on the door. And, uh, you know, we want to make sure we're taking care of our customers with the best products in the marketplace today. And that's that's huge because I, you know, I often think that people don't look at the, you know, and I, I see it sometimes in fire apparatus, especially with what we do in, in apparatus innovations. Um, but they don't, you know, they'll, they'll go back and they'll be like, well, the dealer did this or the, the salesperson did this. And that's why that's like, that's huge because you, you really, you know, and you talked about it before you're, you're, you're building community, you're building culture and you're, you're like, you know, the business has to survive, but ultimately like your customers have to survive as well, because without them, you know, you don't have this and you've got to make sure that those products are, are standing. And that's just, a, that's a, that's a great way to end this. I'm going to botch it if I keep babbling on about it. No, so. I just, Rob, I look at it. Our, our customers are our friends. So yeah. how, how would you want to be treated, you know, in any situation? And I always say, we always have to do right by our customer. You know, it, it takes eight times as much time and money to get a customer back. So why don't we treat them right the first time? You know, do, do we botch some things? We do. I think we have 1,100 or 1,200 active customers today, but uh, by gosh, if you know if we know there's a problem, you know we try to solve it. You know I always say I can't solve a problem I don't know exists, or does, yeah I don't know I can't solve a problem I don't know exists, and yeah. I think that's that's important. You know my phone's always on. I think our reps and managers will tell you that if a customer calls me, like I'm not going to shirk away from a problem. I uh, just let me know what it is. I can't tell you it's always going to be the answer you want to hear, right? That goes back to you know. Right is, is not based on emotion. It's based on fact. And, uh, you know, and usually together we can solve whatever problem that is within the business. Well, Nick, thank you for everything that you've uh, provided today with this interview. I, I cannot, I, from the bottom of my heart, this has been, you know, this blew my expectations out of the water here. I, I thank you so much for taking the time. Um, hang out for a minute here. I'm going to, uh, going to do our outro. Um, but, but thank you. This has been oh, absolutely. fantastic. Everybody, this is Rob, National Fire Radio at Frontline Mindset. Nick Dingus, Dingus Fire Company, explaining it all, family in the fire service and the values that come with it. This is Rob, National Fire Radio. Thank you. National Fire Radio.